Living God, would you send us now, we pray, the help of your Holy Spirit so that each one of us is able to receive the word which you speak to us. In Jesus our Lord. Amen. Well, friends, it's really very good indeed to be with you. I'm immensely grateful to Tom for the invitation to preach this evening. Thank you. And it's always lovely to be back at STC. The second reading tonight told the story of the so-called Annunciation, the occasion when the Archangel Gabriel appeared to Mary to announce to her that she was to become the mother of Jesus. So let me share with you, to begin with, one of my very favourite cartoons. It wasn't meant for wide circulation, and I can only hope that the artist, now presumably middle-aged, would not mind that I'm using it. It was drawn at a primary school in the early 1990s. Center stage is a loaded table, steaming with food that I suppose Mary has prepared. And there is Mary, to the right, with a baby in a thought bubble over her head, and hovering over the table to the left, flowers in hand, is Gabriel. The bird does not appear in the Bible story, but is a nice touch, I think you'll agree. Then comes the text. I hope you're ready for this. One day, Mary was praying to God when Gabriel the angel flew through the window and said, I have good news for you, Mary. You're going to have a baby. He's going to be called Jesus. He will be the Son of God. But I am a virgin, said Mary. (laughs) Not anymore, you're not, said Gabriel. That's uh, year three pupils for you. Now, um... Down to business. Um, This week, my wife, Cathy, and I have been joined at home by our younger son, Tom, our daughter-in-law, Rosa, and our youngest granddaughter, Poema, whose first Christmas this is. They arrived on Thursday for a fortnight in a car piled high with baby kit, a car seat and a buggy and a change mat and packs of nappies, sterilizing unit and feeding bottles, a mountain of vests and baby grows, and so on, what they did not bring was a manger. What right-thinking parent places a baby in a manger? Well, I suppose the answer is a parent in a crisis. Away in a manger, no crib for his bed, the little Lord Jesus laid down his sweet head. The stars in the night sky looked down where he lay, the little Lord Jesus asleep, on the hay. It's such a familiar detail, such a fixed part of the nativity story, that it's easy to overlook it, and certainly to overlook its meaning. So this evening it's on the Christmas manger that I want to focus. I want to pick up that bit of the story we heard in our third and fourth Bible readings tonight, from the second chapter of the Gospel according to Luke. Reading three featured Mary and Joseph, 
It was set in a shed somewhere in Bethlehem town centre where the baby Jesus was born. Reading 4 featured the shepherds. It was set in fields somewhere outside the town where they were watching over their flocks by night when they were surprised by an angel and a heavenly host rejoicing that a saviour had been born. And the detail that links those two reading and holds them together is the description of the infant wrapped in strips of cloth and laid in that manger. So for the next 15 minutes, I want to say a few words about each of those two readings. I want to ask first, what might that manger have meant to Mary and Joseph? And then secondly, what might it have meant to the shepherds? And I hope in the process, we might get a glimpse of what that manger can mean to you and me tonight. So first of all then, scene one, the birth of Jesus itself, what must that have been like for Mary and Joseph? Personally, I have no doubt that they were real people going through a real experience. The child may have been conceived by the Holy Spirit, and Mary and Joseph may both have received visits from angels telling them that their son would be the saviour of the world. But for all that, this was a real pregnancy, and in most respects an ordinary pregnancy, And I'm convinced that Mary and Joseph will have prepared as parents generally prepare for the arrival of a first baby. Like any woman, Mary will have been counting down the months and weeks and days. She will have imagined herself giving birth in Nazareth, at home, among friends and family, with her own mother, maybe, or sisters or aunts, or at least the local midwife in attendance. I bet that's how Mary pictured it. And Joseph will have had his own expectations too. He may not have been the biological father, but I bet he was determined to be the best stepdad a child could have. And I can see him decorating the nursery or doing whatever it was about to be dads did in those days. And being a carpenter, I bet he made a crib, and I bet he lavished on it every last ounce of his professional skill and care. But then comes news that the Roman emperor has ordered a census for which they'll have to travel to Bethlehem right when the baby is due. Ah, well, they tell each other, we'll only be away a week. It's three days there, three days back and one day to register. And in any case, first babies are often late. And if the worst comes to the worst, I'm sure we'll find somewhere warm and comfortable in Bethlehem. But just as they're approaching their destination... Mary goes into labour. When our first son was born, five weeks early, Kathy's waters broke while we were away from home for the weekend visiting friends. She came to me in a bit of a panic to let me know what had happened. And I'm ashamed to say that as if I knew more about it than she did, I told her it was probably indigestion. That night, she was rushed across the Lincolnshire fens in an ambulance to get her to the nearest hospital, with me chasing behind in our little car. It all ended well enough, and that prem baby is now 30 years old. But as Mary first mentions her stomach pains, I picture Joseph saying to himself, Oh Lord, let it be indigestion. Let it just be indigestion. Then the moment they enter Bethlehem, they know they're in trouble. 
If you go to the supermarket during the rest of this week and it's heaving, you'll know from the outset that you're going to struggle to find a short queue at the checkout. And this will have been like that for Mary and Joseph. As soon as they see how busy the streets of Bethlehem are, their hopes of finding a clean and comfortable B&B evaporate. They try a couple of places, but sure enough, they're full. They keep looking, but all the time Mary's labour is advancing, and then it's an emergency. The moment comes for the baby to be born, and suddenly Mary and Joseph will settle for anything. All their hopes and careful plans go out of the window. They will settle now for having this baby in Bethlehem among strangers, though they would much rather have had it at home in Nazareth. They'll settle for having him in a shed, though they'd much rather have found rooms in a guest house. And later, when the panic is over and the baby's arrived, and it's clear that Mary and Jesus are safe, they'll even make do with laying him in a manger in an animal's feeding trough, when they would much rather have laid him in a purpose-built crib. So just picture Mary and Joseph at that moment as calm returns, gazing down at this tiny newborn. What do you suppose they were feeling? Relief almost certainly, and thankfulness for sure. But I'm guessing it was relief and gratitude tinged with regret Think how reluctantly any parent would place a newborn in a manger from which animals have been feeding. Can't you just see Joseph standing over the manger in his temporary accommodation, remembering the crib he so lovingly built back in Nazareth, shaking his head and whispering, Sorry, son, it wasn't supposed to be like this. This evening, for us, This is part of the meaning of the manger. At the midpoint of Luke's telling of the Christmas story, it stands for all those times in our lives when we find ourselves shaking our heads in regret and disappointment and saying in a wistful sort of a way, it wasn't supposed to be like this. I wonder what sort of a year 2021 has been for you. Probably for most of us it will always be COVID year two. And I would be surprised if the virus has not deprived you of something you had really hoped for. A graduation, maybe, or a packed-out wedding. A chance to say a proper goodbye to a loved one. Or a family funeral attended by everyone who wanted to be there. Maybe at some point this year, you have been standing there, shaking your head in regret and disappointment at the disruption that the pandemic has caused. I'd be a bit surprised if there's anyone here who's not had to deal with sorrow and regret at some point in the past 12 months, and if you haven't, you will know plenty who have. So at this midpoint, in Luke's story of the birth of Jesus, the manger stands for all those times when we have had to say, no, this is not what I wanted, this is not how I expected life to turn out, or even, sorry, This is not what I intended. This isn't what I was trying to achieve. It stands for all those times when life has taken a bitter turn, when events have unfolded in ways we would not have chosen. And we've had to settle for less than we would have hoped for. Or we've only given others less than we had hoped to. But thankfully, that is only the halfway point in this story. And this evening, it's important to go on to ask, What did the manger mean for the shepherds? 
Reading 3 closes in that shed as Mary and Joseph gaze down at the newborn Jesus wrapped in strips of cloth and lying in that manger. Reading 4 opens in some nearby fields where those shepherds are watching their flocks. Of course, they did not know that this was Christmas Eve. There was nothing special about that night. They didn't go out to work that evening with some heightened sense of expectation. It was just another shift for them. But in the quietest, darkest hour of the night, as they slept or chatted and minded their own business, the sky suddenly lit up with the glory of the Lord, and an angel appeared to them out of the blue. Don't be afraid, I've got good news for you, which will bring great joy to everyone. This very day in David's town, your Saviour has been born, Christ the Lord, and this will be the sign for you. You'll find that baby wrapped in strips of cloth and lying in a manger. So what does the manger mean for those shepherds? How does it bring great joy? Well, maybe in two ways. In the first place, the manger is given to the shepherds as a sign that the message of the angels is true. The shepherds will know that this baby is not just any baby, but truly is the saviour of the world when they see him wrapped in rags and lying in an animal's feeding trough. It's such an unlikely scenario that it will serve as a guarantee to the shepherds. Isn't it great that it's the manger, the very thing which is a source of regret to Mary and Joseph? which is turned now into a sign of salvation to bring joy to the shepherds. But the manger is more than just a proof or guarantee for the shepherds that the message of the angel is true. The manger is a sign not just that Jesus really will be the saviour of the world, but, and this is the second thing, a sign of the sort of saviour Jesus will be. A saviour who takes precisely those parts of our lives which don't work out as we hope and brings good out of them, and yes, even joy. And sure enough, in adulthood, the ministry of Jesus was the sort of ministry that the manger suggested it would be. A ministry lived out among the poor and not the rich. A ministry to the margins of society and not the mainstream. A ministry to the despised and not just the respectable. And when Jesus died, he died the sort of death the manger had suggested he would. Not in comfort, but in pain. Not in glory, but in shame. Not in triumph, but in apparent defeat. It was this Jesus, the manger Jesus, the crucified Jesus, who was raised by God from the dead to hold out to each one of us the hope that in this Saviour, every tear will one day be wiped away. And every wrong be put right. In fact, that is just the point. Jesus is not less of a saviour because he was born in a cow shed and died upon a cross. He is all the more the sort of saviour we need. The sort who knows our disappointments and our regrets and brings his salvation to the very parts of our lives and to the very parts of our world where there is the greatest sadness and pain. The sort who knows about all our failings and weaknesses and brings his forgiveness to the very parts of our lives and to the very parts of our world where there's the greatest guilt and remorse. And in the end, for me, this is the meaning of the manger. 
it's a sign of the sort of saviour Jesus came to be. Which is just as well, because that's exactly the sort of saviour we need. The sort of saviour our climate-threatened, pandemic-ravaged world needs. The sort of saviour our deeply divided nation needs. The sort of saviour our trodden-down region needs. Maybe even the sort of saviour that you yourself know you need. And if that's true, then perhaps you can see why the angels told the shepherds this was good news of great joy for everyone. You see, friends, at the heart of the good news that Christians celebrate at Christmas is this truth, that no matter how far you may feel you have wandered away from God, it is always only one step back. No matter how far you may feel you have wandered away from God, it is always, only, ever, one step back. It's only ever one step back, not just because there is a saviour, but because Jesus is the sort of saviour who was born in a manger. A saviour born to meet each and every one of us at our point of greatest need. And for him to be your saviour, all it takes is for you to count yourself in. To count yourself in alongside Mary and Joseph as they welcomed a saviour with all the love in their hearts. To count yourself in alongside the shepherds as they worship the saviour and give praise and glory to God. No matter how far you may feel you have wandered away from God, it's only ever one step back. And tonight, I suppose, the question I want to ask is, won't you count yourself in? And if this evening your answer to that question is, yes, yes, I will count myself in, and especially if that's a new thought for you, and maybe even a surprising thought to you, then in closing, I'd like to offer you, and especially those of you who are here on site, some options, some things that you could do tonight as symbols of taking that step back to God. First, you could ask someone you trust, someone who would already consider themselves to be a follower of Jesus, to pray with you and for you, right here tonight before you leave the building. In fact, I know that Tom and Alan and one or two other senior members of the church will loiter here at the dais at the end of the service for that purpose, and I know it would make their day if you wanted one of them to pray with you. That's the first option. Secondly, maybe you'd like a safe place in which to explore what it might be like for you to live as a follower of Jesus, in which case you might like to take part in something called Alpha, Alpha is a hugely popular tried and tested forum for conversation, fellowship and exploration, which usually over food allows people the chance to ask questions and to enter into discussion about life, the universe and everything. There's a fresh Alpha beginning here in the new year and there are details on the postcards which will be distributed at the door. Just take one as you leave and register and I have no doubt there will be a mechanism to allow those of you who are following us online to register too. Or thirdly, if you're a reader and you think that taking something home to read would feel like the right step for you, then come and find me by the door as you leave tonight and you're welcome to a free copy of a short booklet with no strings attached. In fact, 
STC has one free booklet available at the door as you leave called Why Christmas? And I have another free booklet at the door called Christmas in Three Words. So you could knock yourself out and take both. (laughs) But if I can be clear, if you are already a regular member of this church or even a visitor who is a committed follower of Jesus already, my free booklet is not for you. My free booklet is only for anyone looking for an action they can take tonight which will feel like a turning point, like a way of saying yes to Jesus. But if that's you, then please don't hesitate to ask me for a copy. It'll make my day. I'm going to stop and I'm going to finish by saying the traditional words of the prayer that Jesus gave to his followers. We usually call it the Lord's Prayer, and you'll see the words on the screen. Do please join in. Actually, this might be all you need to do to count yourself in and to say your yes to God tonight, especially for those of you joining online. Just saying this prayer might be your step back to God tonight. So let's pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, for ever and ever. Amen. Thank you.